0: Greetings. The topic for discussion today is diaspora studies. Diaspora studies has become very relevant and significant in today's world because it is tied to the movement of people across the world from their homelands to settle elsewhere. The earliest form of diaspora we can trace to the Jews who lived in exile from Palestine, the Jews who were scattered and had to go to different countries so that they remained homeless for centuries. If we look at the word Diaspora, we find that the etymology can be traced to Greek origins and the meaning to be traced to the daya which means across and Speri which means to sow or scatter seeds which gives us this uh, notion of people scattering all over the world. We live in a global village today and we know communication has become so fast that people all over the world have become closer but unfortunately, we also find that people have become distanced from one another based on their ethnicity and religion. So this is the paradox that we face today. And that is why diaspora studies and diaspora writing is very significant in the modern world. Diasporas are always what we would call displaced to people, displaced from their homelands for various reasons as an exile as we saw when we talked about the jews they may also be refugees who have come into other countries because of a civil war or unrest in their own countries or because of poverty but there is also another group of people who willingly and desire to move from one country to another and these are the immigrants If we look at the history of diaspora apart from the Jews who who went into exile we also have a very big body of African diaspora which is the result of 500 years of slavery. As early as 1800 slave trade was rampant all over the world particularly in the developed countries to which the Africans were taken and made to work on their plantations but eventually of course we know that they got their rights and today uh, the African population in the developed countries like UK, US, Canada etc enjoy many of the uh, facilities that are available to the natives as well. When we talk about diaspora, we also have to realize that uh, this is uh, not just about a dislocation from one place to another, but it is also a lived experience. It is about people who have left their countries and who are trying to find uh, an adopted home in another country the first generation who leave their country leave with lot of memories of their country but the second generation who are born in the country of adoption, adoption have totally different memories as also the third generation so we, this notion of dislocation and relocation also has embedded in it the notion of lived experiences in these two, what we would call, binaries of lo- dislocation and relocation. The, uh, the earliest form of diaspora writing, we can trace back to the early 20th century, where writers like uh, Salman Rushdie, uh, V.S. Naipaul, Vikram Seth, Amitav Ghosh from India, and of course from other countries began to write about their experiences in the new country as also their experiences and memories of the land that they have left behind. But this raises some questions about what constitutes diaspora thinking and diaspora experience. We have to accept the fact that when people move from one country to another country they carry their language with them they carry their culture with them they carry their religion they go to another country which has a totally different culture which has different religions and which have different social customs and norms to fit into such a society is often not very easy and it is this process of what we call assimilation that creates a lot of tension in the immigrant population. The the immigrant writing therefore reflects this tension and this stress. When particularly Indians have gone to countries like uh, US to Canada, they found that they were not easily accepted by the society to which they had migrated they were all they were always as a different ethnic group they were indians and they were indian americans or they were indian Canadians, or they were uh, they always had a hyphenated identity now this identity which is hyphenated and which they in recent times writers have refused to accept because they do not want to be known as a hyphenated personality but in uh, in reality, if you look at their writing, you find that these writers are unable to severe their ties totally from their homeland and assimilate into the country to which they have gone. That is because of the memories that they carry with them. It can also be uh, because of the ancestry that is embedded in their being. This generates a group of people who are what we would call hybrid. People who belong both to the world that they, left be- that they have left behind as well as the country which they have adopted. You could see it in another way as well. You could say that they are neither here nor there. Or you could see it as they are both here and they are there as well. This is what Uma Parameshanan called at one point of time the Trishangu positioning of the immigrant. Unable to totally assimilate into the country that they have adopted. And therefore, they are in a Trishangu position. They are also called, what we call uh, in Greek mythology, the figure of the Janus, which looks both backward and forward. So, uh, for various reasons, uh, the immigrants would have gone to these new countries. Uh, One of the reasons that we can identify, of course, is that most of the first generation Indians went there because uh, they wanted a better education, they wanted uh, a better uh, profession, they wanted a better place to live in, so these are some of what you would call the attractions of. the the pull factor that economists talk about. But at another level we can also talk about a push factor. This particularly applies to people say from China, Japan uh, and other countries uh, in the East uh, in the East Asia region. We find these people went to uh, the developed countries like US, Canada, UK for Uh, purposes of uh, economy, of making themselves uh, richer, finding a job. If you look at the Japanese population who left Japan uh, early uh, in the 1900s, particularly after the Second World War, there was an exodus. Uh, of Japanese and we know that what had happened to Japan during the second war may be one of the reasons that a lot of people began to go out of Japan to these new uh, to these developed countries. But they did not find an easy acceptance and they had to struggle. If you look at the Chinese, we find uh, the Chinese were, were taken in as laborers for the railroad that the English, uh, the US wanted to build across the United States. They went there as railroad builders, whereas the Japanese went there as shipbuilders. So for various reasons, we find that uh, people of different countries have immigrated to the developed countries and tried to settle down there and adopt the country. Of course, once the decision to leave the country and to become citizens of another country is made, the second generation and the third generation become part of this new world. And this new world is often not very welcoming to the immigrants. So there is always this stress, there's always this tension, there's always this feeling that uh, you are being discriminated against. Of course, the discrimination of the blacks is history. We know that the, the Africans had to go through a lot of discrimination before they could find some kind of an acceptance in the society. This has happened with the immigrants as well. One of the reasons that this happens is because of the different ethnic groups or what we would call the visible minorities that have formed pockets in different areas in the first world countries like the US, Canada, UK and so on. Uh, These ethnic groups tried to uh, stick together, to be together. And there are pockets in UK, in America, in Canada where the ethnic groups, the ethnic population uh, live in a particular area and they have their festivals and they try to relive the Indian experience in these countries and of course this is rejected by the, um, uh, the, the country to which they have immigrated, the people of the country to which they have immigrated. But slowly this discrimination is fast disappearing and uh, if early writers have talked about this discrimination, the third generation of writers now uh, who have immigrated and settled in these countries have begun to write about different experiences that they have in this new land. When we are talking about diaspora uh, theory, one of the things that we have to be aware of is this notion of Uh, not only hyphenation but also the notion of identity identity has always been seen as an essence but Stuart Hall says it is not an essence it is a becoming identity is a slowly a a process of uh, generation because you find yourself in certain contexts, in certain situations where your identity is formed and continually being reformed But when such an identity is being reformed and such an identity is being uh, made, there is always the nostalgia, there is always the past that is present in this identity of the first generation and to a certain extent with the second generation. But with the third and the fourth generation what we find is that uh, they are uh, not... uh, they have never seen or they are not aware of these memories as a first-hand experience. It comes only through the narration of their uh, grandmothers or great grandmothers. So the notion of identity is also important when we are talking about diaspora and the way identity is continually being formed and reformed. Also another factor that we have to be aware of is the fact that memories are always, fragments. Memories are not complete or whole. As Salman Rushdie says, it is like a broken mirror which reflects life and which reflects your appearance. You don't see your whole in it. You see only parts and fragments of it. And maybe that is why when diaspora writers write about their past experiences, there is a whole lot of uh, myriad images that come up and images that relate with not only the past but with the present as well. Uh, For example, Uma Paramesharin writing about the Assiniboine river in Canada uh, compares it to the Ganga river in India. Her mango trees in in uh, in the in India become the maple trees in uh, Canada. Sita Who's a part of the uh, Hindu tradition back home becomes Sita who has a very gay, happy time with the natives in Canada. So you find the way in which fragmentation of memories also leads to a kind of reformation of new experiences and new, ex- new ideas and thoughts that seem to bind the homeland with the new land to which they have come. Another factor of diaspora writing that we have to keep in mind is that there is this notion of multiculturalism. Multiculturalism as a policy has been accepted in some countries like Canada, where they talk about the salad bowl, uh, but in America, which still talks about the melting pot theory of total assimilation. So there is this notion of, can you totally assimilate and become an American? Or you still remain a hyphenated American or can you find a total acculturation in the new country to which you have come or do you keep your ethnic identity is that this is one of the reasons that even today we talk, talk about visible minorities the people who are visible because they are a minority because they're different from what we would call the majority so ethnicity as an idea as an ideology still exists in the minds of what you would say people all over the world and that is what divides us it's it's not the homogeneity of groups that we are talking about but we are talking about the heterogeneity of peoples from different countries who remain as uh, different from one another because of their cultural background but yet become a part of the new land to which they have gone. Now keeping these in mind, if we look at the kind of writing that has come out from Canada and America and what you would say the diaspora writers, one finds that the earl, often the earliest writing of the first generation of diaspora writers uh, is rooted in their homelands. For example M.G. Vasanji in his first book, The Ganisak, talks about the African origin that he has and that what happens in Africa then he traces it back to India because he has a rooting his ancestors had a rooting in Gujarat so there's a kind of uh, movement uh, in the writings of these writers who try to uh, take back uh, locations or uh, to move in locations that take them from one country to another Michael Ondache who's an award-winning writer he He's a Sri Lankan writer. His first uh, novel um, the, and his later novels, like uh, Anil's Ghost, talks about what happens in Sri Lanka. Anil's Ghost is actually set in the civil war in Sri Lanka. But when you come to his later novels like The English Patient, you find the setting totally changes, it is the whole of Europe, it is Italy, UK, and other places of Europe where things happen, there is even a Sikh Indian doctor within the uh, novel. Uh, in the same way, if you look at uh, Vasanji's later novels, where he talks about the in-between world of Lal, where he is talking about what we call the hyphenated identity in Canada, and in a more recent book like The Song of Solomon, he talks about the Gujarat Rites, the the entire novel is placed uh, with the setting of the Gujarat Rites. So these writers we find uh, do not confine themselves to uh, experiences in their new land but they also talk or uh, their early writings tend to uh, write more about the homelands and the experiences in the homelands. But if we look at uh, say, Japanese writers particularly we find there is uh, there is always this notion of trying to resettle in another uh, country whether it be uh, US or Canada uh, a novel like uh, Obasan of Joy Kogawa which talks about three generations and these three generations which uh, which in Japanese uh, refers uh, to this notion of uh, Uh, what we call uh, the Isai, the Nisai and the Sansai. The Isai is the uh, first generation of uh, Japanese, second generation is the Nisai and the Sansai is the third generation. Now in this novel, you have this representation of all these three generations. So there is a kind of uh, uh, looking back at their own culture and also looking at what the uh, new generation have to come to terms with in the new country. Another novel a Chinese novel uh, like the Joy Luck Club of Amy Tan talks about the Chinese born experiences of four generations and interestingly enough uh, Chinese are uh, very uh, close-knit families and uh, by the time we come to the fourth generation of the, the Chinese uh, Americans, what we find is that the, though that, that closeness of ties, is slowly being disrupted, and uh, the generations are moving apart. New experiences have made the younger generation think differently. New, the kind of education that they have received in the new land has made them more professional than the um, the profession of, uh, as we always relate, uh, the Chinese cookery and uh, the Chinese food. Uh, the kind of profession that the earlier generation had uh, done uh, becomes totally different from what the new generation uh, uh, looks at. So you find that this generational uh, gap is very evident in diaspora writing. So much so that you cannot talk about diaspora writing as a coherent body of writing. It is very dissimilar from uh, one another. There's a lot of heterogeneity here, and uh, like uh, Rushdie said, at one point of time, Commonwealth literature was all brought under one umbrella. The Commonwealth countries, who which were erstwhile colonies of Britain, and the writing that came from there was all branded as Commonwealth literature. But we know today how uh, hybrid it is, how different it is from each other. African writing is totally different from Indian writing, Afghan writing or Pakistani writing is very different from Indian writing. So you find uh, this kind of uh, uh, differences marks diaspora literature as well. So it is very easy to say that diaspora writing is all about people's dislocation and people moving from one place to another and they are writing about their experiences, not at all. Diaspora writing actually uh, looks at lived experiences i would say of people uh, of um, generations who have gone through different experiences living in a new country different experiences even of having left their own country and that is why when you look at uh, um, writings of chitra devagaruni or you look at uh, Kiran desai uh, or jumba lahiri some of the women uh, immigrant writers. Uh, we find that uh, uh, at one point uh, they they root themselves in their homelands but at another level they are also talking about a totally different experience that they confront in the new worlds to which they have gone. Uh, I would like to say that uh, when we are uh, talking about this kind of uh, writing We should also be aware that uh, diaspora writing uh, is a term that is very loosely used uh, in the sense that anyone who leaves the country and who settles in another country and then begins to write cannot be or cannot be termed uh, very strictly as a diaspora writer. Because diaspora writers are writers who have settled and have acquired citizenship in another country and who have become a citizen of, a con- of an adopted country. And it is then that that tension, that stress, that feeling of uh, b- belonging becomes stronger. And it is that stress and tension, out of that stress and tension, and the need to explain their existence that diaspora writing uh, comes. So I would, um, in fact, um, invite all of you to read more of Diaspora Writing because Diaspora Writing is, gives you a variety of experiences of people uh, with different nationalities living in uh, different countries other than their own, writing about experiences that are totally different from one another, uh, based on their generations and uh, based on the uh, the kind of exposure that they have had so it makes a uh, wonderful reading and i would close this uh, talk um, inviting you all to read more of diaspora writing because it is highly rewarding thank you